you may have noticed that somebody, and that person is me, has moved the pulpit this morning. Well, let me give you a little peek behind the curtain of why I did that. Uh, I was having a conversation with uh, one of our cameramen, Luke, who is cameraman today up there. This is for you, Luke. Uh, who Luke told me, man, it's so easy when you preach because you don't move. You just stay by the pulpit the whole entire time. And he thought that was a compliment to me. He said, Pastor Paul's hard to follow. And I heard that and I was like, well, that's not, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be locked into the pulpit. Um, and so, Luke, here's the thing, dude. <laughs> the last thing that I would want to do is make this an easy time for you. So I'm going to do my best this morning not to be locked into that pulpit. How far can I go here? Yeah, okay. So <laughs> I love you, Luke. All right, so <laughs> let me, uh, let's transition now. Uh, I'm, I'm Mitch. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you're all here with us this morning. Um, we've been talking about spiritual disciplines. Spiritual discipline I want to talk to you about this morning is prayer. Uh, prayer, uh, something that we're, we're all very familiar with. Uh, when I was asking myself, okay, prayer, what are we going to talk about? I decided that one of the best places to go and look and talk about prayer would be uh, to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he teaches us, this is how you pray. Uh, kids, you're dismissed. Kids, you're dismissed. You don't want to be in here. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 we're going to read starting in verse 5 to 13. Um, if you are using one of our Pew Bible, it's page 964. I'll be reading from the CSB. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. These are the words of Jesus on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Whenever you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room. Shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's hard for me uh, knowing uh, that we're not going to be here uh, for hours on end because uh, this passage, this, these just couple of verses that we read are so full of wisdom that could teach us uh, about the nature of prayer and how Jesus, God himself, is saying, this is how you should pray. There's so much we could draw from this. Uh, we're not going to draw everything, uh, but we're going to do what we can this morning. Uh, and there are two things. There's so much that we can learn about how to pray. There's two things that Jesus really hones in and says, don't pray like this. Don't pray like this. And the first one is the first verse that we read. Verse 5, he says, whenever you pray, 
You must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. So, it's really important that when we come to Scripture, uh, when we come to the words of Jesus or anywhere else in, in the Bible, that we do our due diligence to make sure that we are understanding the words of Scripture correctly. Because... If we were to hear Jesus speak right now and walk away and say, ah, Jesus, yes, okay, what you're telling me is that it's never okay to pray in front of people. You say, go into your private room, or some of your translations may say closets, shut the door, pray to God in secret, so never can I pray to God in front of people. If that were the case, then I'm sorry, Carla, we set you up. Uh, We owe you an apology because Carla just prayed in front of all of us as a community, right? That's not what Jesus is saying. How do we know that's not what Jesus is saying? Well, one, he gives more context. But two, we see Jesus praying in front of people and with people throughout the gospel accounts. Even though uh, Jesus is giving us this example of the Lord's Prayer here in the following verses, I tend to think that Jesus wasn't just having like this whiteboard and he's going line by line, but that Jesus was praying when he said, here's how you should pray, that he was actively praying and he's doing it in front of a large crowd. So if Jesus is, say, is not saying it's wrong to pray in front of people, then what is he saying? I really like the way that author and pastor Charles E. Moore uh, puts it. He puts it this way. He says, though it is not wrong to be seen praying, it is wrong to pray in order to be seen. Attention to God, not people's admiration, is what matters. So Jesus, and this is something that I'm sure he was actively seeing, seeing people praying in the temple courts loudly, boisterously, for long amounts of time, uh, seeing people praying on the street corners. It's not the fact that they're praying in front of people. But he's honing in saying, why are you praying? What is your purpose behind praying? And he knew the hearts. We constantly get Jesus knowing the hearts and minds of people uh, throughout the gospel stories. He knew that some of them were praying, not focused on what they should be, speaking to God, but about the people around them, about being recognized or praised by the people around them. Maybe it was how loudly they prayed. They were expecting people to come up and say, man, you really are courageous when you pray. You just pray so loudly. Maybe it was they rehearsed it and they, it was all about the eloquence of their words. Like, oh man, when you pray, uh, your words are just so well-refined but they were seeking praise from other. Their focus was impure and their motives were impure. And that is ultimately what Jesus is saying, this is the problem. Jesus then goes on to say, don't be like those people, but instead go into your private room, close the door, pray to God in secret. Why is he saying that? Why is he saying, go into your private room, your closet, go find a space of privacy? Because what Jesus, I think, wants us to recognize when it comes to prayer is that the best kind of prayer is this, a prayer of intimacy, of close relationship. Because if we're not recognizing that prayer is all about the relationship that we have with God, we're missing something. Prayer wants us to be intimate in prayer with God The very Lord's Prayer begins with this line. He says, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. And in the same verse of this prayer, 
where Jesus recognizes the holiness of God. Your name is holy. The scriptures say holy, 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 because once isn't enough. In the same line that God, uh, Jesus recognizes God, the Father, as you're holy. You're set apart from all of creation. You're different. You are alone worthy of praise. He begins the Lord's Prayer by calling God what? Our Father. And if he just said Father, well, you could say, well, yeah, because you're Jesus. You're the Son of God. But he says Our Father, and he says this is how you should pray. Our Father. This is what Jesus wants us to recognize when we pray, that we should be recognizing God as our Father, as our Heavenly Father. Yes, he is holy, but when we pray to God as our Father, we're taking upon this understanding that, wait, what does that mean I am? I'm a child of this Father. I'm a child of God, and to pray like that is to pray a prayer of intimacy with our Heavenly Father. Jesus was well known uh, for calling a God Abba, Father, which if you don't know, Abba doesn't necessarily translate directly to Father, but it more directly translates to something like Daddy, which really to me just speaks to a child looking up at their father, Daddy. Like there is such love in those words. And when we pray, Jesus wants us to have one-on-one time with our Father. And so he says, go, find a private space, close the door. Pray in secret to God because you need that time with your Father. And we have examples throughout the gospel accounts. We have examples of, um, next slide please. We have examples of Jesus going and doing this very thing. Jesus going and praying to God, finding time alone to pray to God. Here's just a couple examples. You can look those up in your own time. Please do, that's, that's always a great thing to do. Jesus finds time to break away, to be by himself with God the Father, to pray with him. Jesus is seeking after intimacy with God. When I think about intimacy in a close relationship and how you build on a close relationship, uh, me and my wife, Amber, uh, we make it a point, we need to, as uh, husband and wife, we need to find time where it's just the two of us, where we're spending quality time together. That is how close relationships work. Married people in the room say amen, yes, right? Uh, We need to find time. And over these years, uh, as we get hopefully a little bit wiser and a little bit wiser, still nothing nothing compared, uh, but we, we grow and we learn and we go, man, the busier that life gets the more protective we need to be of that time. We need to protect that time. And so as much as we love hanging out with other people, as much as we love going out and doing things, as much as we uh, hate uh, saying no to requests that come of us, uh, some of you, maybe you've experienced this, and sorry, not sorry, uh, we've said no to some things because we've wanted to protect that time, and the busier life gets, the more protective we are to say, we need to spend time, just the two of us. Jesus here in the Gospels, we have account after account after account, and I have to imagine there's so many more that aren't even written, where Jesus is making sure to walk away, to find time to himself, to get away from the crowds, to get away from the noise, uh, to get away from even his disciples who he's traveling with, and have time alone with his heavenly Father. 
This Jesus is uh, also showing us to be a great example of two other spiritual disciplines that tie in really well here of silence and solitude. Jesus is getting away into having some silence, away from all the distractions that are around him and finding a time of solitude where it's just him and God. And Jesus needed to get away from the distractions. If you read these accounts and you keep reading, you're going to notice that there's a reoccurring theme in many of these times where Jesus walks away, finds time to himself to pray uh, to God, is he constantly gets interrupted during this time. The crowds find him. His disciples find him. They ask him questions like, where were you, Jesus? What are you doing out here by yourself? He's constantly interrupted even when he's going and finding time to pray to God. Jesus was really busy. And I know when life gets busy for me, I need to be more protective of the intimate, close relationship that I have with my wife. Jesus was really busy. It's, my business is nothing compared to the busyness of Jesus. He's getting interrupted left and right. And what I find to be also interesting is when we read some of these accounts the disciples are doing something else while Jesus is going and finding time to be alone with God. Do you know what they're doing? A lot of the times, they're sleeping. They're sleeping. And it doesn't specifically say this, but what I get from that, that the disciples are sleeping, Jesus is traveling around with these disciples. If his disciples are sleeping, what would you expect Jesus to be doing? Sleeping. Thank you. Yes. But he's going off to pray. Now, we can, we can brush this away and say, well, he's, he's God, so, you know, like, he probably doesn't need as much sleep. But no, he's also fully man. He's also fully human. He needs sleep. I think Jesus is giving up on sleep because he's saying, well, you know what's more important than my sleep? I need to make sure I have time alone, intimate time with God the Father. And here's the thing that I want us all to understand when we're talking about this. If Jesus is making this such a priority, if he is making sure to have time alone with God the Father, then you better believe that I need to be doing that as well. You better believe that you need to be doing that as well. If Jesus, who is God, needs that, you and I need to be doing that as well. If our only time in prayer And I don't know, maybe for somebody in here, this rings true of you. If your only time in prayer is when we're at church functions like this, we just did a community prayer. If your only time in prayer is when uh, you're gathered around the dinner table with your family and you're praying, hear me, those are wonderful. Those are good. But if you are not finding time to find a place for just you and God to speak, to build on that relationship with him, you are missing something crucial to your prayer life. You're missing something crucial. Jesus uh, goes on in verse 7. He continues with another, be careful, don't do this. He says in verse 7, When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Again, We want to be careful not to misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. This word babble, that he says, don't be like the Gentiles who babble. This word babble 
And when it's translated, it comes out as something along the lines of meaninglessness, meaninglessness words, noise, uh, to use a very modern term, gibberish, right? Somebody speaking gibberish, do you walk away learning much from that conversation or understanding much? No, right? This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not contradicting. Uh, Jesus is not contradicting the the uh, verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 where it says, pray continually. That's not what this is. It's not a contradiction. Well, Jesus said, don't, don't use a lot of words. Don't babble on. Like the Gentiles, is he contradicting when we're supposed to, but we're supposed to pray continuously. That's not what he's saying. Jesus isn't trying to say, make sure your prayers are like Twitter or X or whatever it's going to be next month. That's not what Jesus is saying. Like you need to have a word count uh, for your prayer. That's not what's going on. But instead, what Jesus is calling out is the nature of the words, meaninglessness, noise, gibberish. Uh, He speaks about Gentiles. He's speaking to a mostly Jewish audience who are praying to the one true God. And the Gentiles that he's referring to are typically pagans praying to a number of gods. And a common practice that he's calling them out on here is that they would pray and pray and pray and keep praying and using words and more words and more words because their hope was that one of their gods would eventually hear them. Maybe they would be wandering by and, oh, there's somebody praying over here. I should pay attention. So they kept on using more and more words because they were hoping that finally one of their gods would actually listen to them and pay attention to them. Maybe it was even this drown, drown out the other person because I need to be heard. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not our God. You don't have to worry about that. Our God, he actually knows you. He knows what you're going to pray before you even pray it. So you don't have to babble on. You don't have to spew out meaningless words Don't babble like the Gentiles. I think the question that's uh, behind this that we should ask is, if we're not supposed to be meaningless in our words, if we're not supposed to babble on, uh, then what does meaningful words look like? What do meaningful words look like? And I want to sum it up. Uh, this This is the way that my mind wraps my head around. What are meaningful words? Meaningful words are ones that, simply put, you really mean. That you truly, simple, right? Uh, That you truly mean in your hearts, which brings me to, and again, I wish we had time to really dive into the whole Lord's Prayer, but I want to focus in on one more part of the Lord's Prayer. This next part of the Lord's Prayer where um, famously Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because when we're talking about Meaning the words that we pray. When we pray this type of prayer, what does it mean to mean the words, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, or on earth as it is in heaven? I want to make some suggestions here. When we mean these words, we're praying something else at the same time. When we say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are also surrendering and saying, God, not my kingdom. God, not my will but your will. We're recognizing that we are broken and that our will and our kingdoms that we want to build are far too often a different direction. And we're saying, God, realign my heart. 
Fix my broken heart to be more in line with what your will is and what your kingdom values point us to. You might have wondered why uh, we read, maybe you wondered why we read uh, from Revelation 21 this morning. I want to talk about that because I cannot come to these words of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and not think about the passages in Revelation 21 and 22 when God's ultimate kingdom comes into its total fulfillment and his ultimate will is pervasive over all of creation. So I want to read those words again and you can read along if you want, but I'm actually going to encourage you just to listen. We're going to read from Revelation uh, 21. If you want to read, read along. But I'm going to encourage you just to listen to these words. Take them in and think about this prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, and listen to this. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. That's where I'll stop right there. I cannot help when I read this prayer and those words, but to think of that passage and uh, continuing on through 22, because this is the beauty of it. When we say, God, what does it look like for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? The beautiful thing is we have that written down in here for us. We might not have all the details of it, but we have this beautiful vision of what that will look like in Revelation 21 and 22. We have the end of the story. And this is something that should be incredibly important to us because it is what our hope and our lives should be aimed towards. Because as the Bible says, we are already citizens of heaven. We're already to live like that reality is here. We are to live so people see us and go and see a glimpse of that future where God's kingdom has fully come and God's will has fully come. This is what Paul, the Apostle Paul, calls the restoration of all things where there's no more sadness, there's no more death. Uh, As my favorite fantasy author J.R.R. Tolkien says, this is when everything sad will come untrue. Why am I talking about this when we're talking about prayer? Here's why. Because if this is so important, then when we pray these words, your kingdom come, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this should not just be a prayer that points us to the hope that we have. It should. But it should also spur us on to action, to living in a way that points towards this. The German theologian Eberhard Arnold, and I had to practice that first name a couple times, says this. He says, Faith without works is dead. Prayer without work is hypocrisy. 
The purpose of Jesus' prayer is to bring us to the point where its meaning is lived out. The purpose of Jesus' prayer is to bring us to the point where its meaning is lived out. If we pray this prayer, and we're talking about meaningful words, meaning them in our heart, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And we walk away from that prayer going, awesome, I've done it, I've prayed the prayer. Okay, God, you got this now, right? I'm going to go over here and just kind of live my life. We don't truly mean it. Because this, if this is the hope that we are aiming for, and we are recognizing that in Scripture, uh, the Apostle Paul says to us, we are God's co-workers. We will be encouraged, we will be uh, spurred on to say, how can I in my life, how can I in my family, how can I in my church, how can I in my community, how can I in the world around me live in a way that points towards a future where God's kingdom will come fully, where God's will will forever be done. How can I live in a way and how can I do good in my life, good works, in order to point towards that? I, I, it's something that's trained in me and I hate kind of that this is something that I feel like I always have to do, uh, but I, I am going to just do it. We're not talking about a works-based salvation. We're not talking about that. We are saved by grace through faith alone. But works are an important part of living out that salvation. Because if Jesus loved us, and if God loved us in the way that he did, and we know that he did, then we should be spurred on to love him and follow him and do good in our lives that point to him for his glory. So when we pray these words, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, we should be praying them, meaning them, on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven. And so here are the last two things I want us to walk away with today when we're coming to the, uh, the discipline of prayer. Uh, the first is this, if we're going to simplify this all down, that when we pray, we should pray with words, with purpose, or with meaning. Prayer should not be the thing before the actual thing. And let me tell you what, that, what I mean by that. If you're like me, and this is definitely me, it's a challenge I have, prayer becomes a thing before the actual thing. I get into a routine of prayer, and a routine of prayer is good. But what can happen is, okay, I know I gotta pray at the start of the day, I know I gotta pray before all of my meals, I gotta pray before bedtime. And maybe you're with me on this, especially when thinking about praying before a meal. Most people here pray before a meal, yeah? Have you ever been praying uh, to God before a meal and you're not thinking about the prayer? What are you thinking about? The food, right? Oh boy, it's getting cold. I want to eat this. And so prayer becomes a thing before the actual thing in which we're just trying to get through it and our words are not meaningful. We're not focusing in on them. Our heart isn't truly in it. Let's not do prayer that disservice. We are talking in prayer to the creator of everything who says he is our father, and the crazy thing is that he wants to speak to us and hear from us. So don't make prayer the thing before the actual thing. 
Let's focus in. Let's have our words have meaning and purpose. And again, this does not mean eloquence of speaking. You're speaking with your father. You speak to him like he is your father. You don't have to write down and look up a a thesaurus. That's okay. Speak to him. Be with him. Be present with him. And then the other thing when it comes to prayer is this. We should come to our times of prayer with hearts of humility. I think a lot of the times when I pray, what I've realized is my time of prayer centers a lot around me. And just just an aside, look at the Lord's Prayer. See how many times it says I, me. It doesn't. It says our. It says us. Because prayer is meant to be a thing in which we're recognizing that I'm part of a community of God's family. It's okay to pray for things going on in your life. Understand. But what I've noticed about my prayer is so much of it has to do with me. God, can you help me get this? God, if you can find it within your will, I'd love for this to occur or for this to come along or for this to happen for my life. Again, that's okay. What I'm talking about is maybe a balance here. I think too often what happens with prayer is we come to God trying to convince him to align his will to be more in line with our will. When what we should be doing is we should be coming to God to be convicted to align my will with more of what his will looks like. So not to come and be convincing God, this is how it should go, God, this is my plan, but convict me, God, take away everything that's part of my plan so that I can follow the far better plan, which is your plan. So not convincing, but to convict. If we are coming to prayer and we are truly wanting to grow in prayer, then we should be asking God to be molding us in prayer. We should be asking God to be shaping us in prayer. We should be asking asking God to teach us when we are praying, to guide us, to be motivated to good work because here's the last thing I'm going to say. Prayer is meant to transform us. Prayer is meant to transform us. If I'm spending hours a day in prayer and I'm walking away and my will is not more aligned with God's will, if I'm walking away from hours of prayer every day and I am not becoming more and more a fully devoted follower of Jesus, then something is off. Let's pray together. Dear God, this is, this is our prayer this morning. Um, help to teach every single one of us. Uh, help us to recognize how sweet a thing prayer is, how great of a gift it is that you the God, the creator of everything, wants to hear from us, wants to talk to us, wants to have intimate time where it's just you and me, you and us, and help us to strive for that, help us to learn from your son in that. And ultimately, we pray that prayer is a time where we are being molded, we are being shaped, we are being transformed more and more like your son and more and more in line with what your will is. God, let this be our prayer, that your kingdom comes, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and in our lives. We love you. Amen.